This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point, assuming they're not being blinded <laughs> by the jacket. And let's say together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. And again, good morning to those in Appleton and Stevens Point. I hear there's a game going on here today in uh, (laughs) Green Bay. This was not my idea. All right. I don't want to mention any names, but her initials are Deanna Gunger. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, this is an exciting day, huh? You know, no matter what happens, when we get a home game like this, it's a big deal to this little town. A lot of money comes into Green Bay on a special day like this, and uh, we're glad. All these things, good things come from God. Somebody say amen. Amen. What happens is I don't think God really cares beyond that. (laughs) All right, let's look at the scriptures this morning, reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then in the Old Testament reading, we look over to Isaiah chapter 42. This is when Isaiah, uh, 700 years before Jesus is born, is prophesying uh, about the Messiah. And it's interesting. The first words here in chapter 42, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Virtually the exact same uh, wording, a little different uh, words here and there, but it's the very same message that was said over Jesus when he came out of 
baptism. So whether or not Isaiah was prophesying this would be said of Jesus or the Spirit of God was quoting Isaiah as marking that Jesus was the Messiah because he didn't have to say everything else. Isaiah goes on to say more about the Messiah. He says, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Prophecies in Jesus uh, later actually reads from this and tells the people that he had fulfilled these words because he was the Messiah. So I want to look this morning at this verse that says, uh, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. We are uh, now in the Christian calendar, as I pointed out back in December. The Christian calendar actually begins in December because of preparing for the birth of the Messiah and then on from there. Well, this point in the Christian calendar is known as the epiphany. Sounds like a fancy word, but what is an epiphany? An epiphany is an illuminating discovery, a realization, or a disclosure. Usually when something all of a sudden clicks in one's head, it's like, I had an epiphany. I had this amazing thought. So this idea now, Christ was born into the world, and now we start reading of how he is now being revealed to the world. So he's born, other than a few who knew about it, no one knew about it. And now for 30 years, Jesus is just silently working in Nazareth and uh, with his mother and family. And uh, all of a sudden now at age 30, he's now being revealed as the Messiah. And the first public display of this is when he comes to be baptized by John. So Jesus is being very quiet. John, on the other hand, is making all kinds of noise. He's out there preaching, telling them people to turn from their sins, turn to God, The Messiah is coming. They asked him, are you the Messiah? He says, I'm not the Messiah. He says, I've come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and now John baptized him, and and this event occurs, this epiphany, if you will, as Jesus is being uh, revealed to the world. Now, it's interesting when we read about this voice from heaven. It says, John saw the Spirit of God come like a dove, and then this voice from heaven this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It doesn't say one way or the other whether or not anybody else saw it or heard it. Did anybody else hear it? Uh, it's interesting. In uh, John's gospel, the 12th chapter, we have another time where the Spirit of God spoke over Jesus. In John's gospel, the 12th chapter, verse 28, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. And others says, no, an angel has spoken to him. It's kind of interesting that some heard it, uh, but a lot of the people, all they heard was thunder. They didn't hear what was said. They just 
heard some noise. Isn't that interesting? The analogy here is very, very strong. That when it comes to the gospel even being preached today, for a lot of people, they hear the gospel and the light goes on. An epiphany happens. And everyone here that has ever had a moment of uh, faith uh, in Christ, you have what is an epiphany. All of a sudden, now it makes sense. I know I was raised in church, you know, as a kid, and none of this stuff made any sense to me. You heard it, and you kind of understood it at a certain level, but it didn't really click. And it wasn't until I was 16 years old when I heard, again, the very same gospel prevented very simply to me, all of a sudden, the lights go on, and I had an epiphany, and it changed my life. Those, most of you listening to me right now know what that is like. Some is very dramatic, some maybe not all that dramatic, but you know that you know that all of a sudden, oh, now, now it makes sense. A lot of you young people raised in the church, at some point this has to happen for you. You know, you hear me talk, you hear uh, the stories taught in children's church, um, your parents talk about it, but at some point it needs to become personal to you and you need to have an epiphany. You can't just get into heaven based on your mama's faith. Somebody say amen. All right? It's not going to, well, I had a great mom. I got a great grandma. Well, that's great. And I'm sure they're praying for you to have an epiphany so that this becomes real to you. It's always amazing to me how many times, uh, you know, over the last 40 years, 45, 50 years I was a Christian, to uh, see kids who are raised in the church and you see some who, Boy, all of a sudden it comes to life to them. And others, no matter what they had learned all their lives, they don't get it. They've heard it just like everybody else, but they haven't had that moment, that epiphany. And it's very heartbreaking to those who know them and stuff. What do you do? You need to pray for them. We should all be praying for our loved ones, for our friends, our family, those that we work with, neighbors and stuff, as we interact with them that whatever we do and how we live our lives and whatever words we might say might result in the Holy Spirit coming to them and giving them an epiphany uh, because God has to do it. In a way, this is really good news because it's not really up to you. You know, a lot of people say, well, what can I do to convince people about this, that? Well, there's really nothing you can do. Uh, you need to pray that God will use something maybe that you do say or whatever that all of a sudden something clicks to those who are close to you. And boom, they start having an epiphany and they come to faith, okay? Um, in Ephesians, uh, Paul, or uh, not Paul, yeah, Paul wrote Ephesians. <laughs> and he writes these words. He says, now I affirm this, uh, or this I affirm and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles live. He's talking to the Christians who've come to faith. You need to stop living the way you were living in the futility of their minds, unbelievers. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of either their ignorance or the hardness of their heart. You see, without God granting an epiphany, the gospel itself will just sound like noise, thunder, whatever it is that people experience. Uh, there's people listening to me right now all over the world. People watch us online and uh, I meet people as I travel around the world who talk about how this church, people have actually come to know Jesus just by watching our services. How's that possible? Because while they're listening, all of a sudden, they run into this weirdo on the internet with these weird jackets, and they have this epiphany, and they come to faith. I was in uh, 
the Czech Republic, former Yugoslavia, uh, two years ago, not three years ago now, and this lady came to me and, and gave me a present, it was, uh, whatever it was, but uh, nothing expensive, but it was just a very nice gift. And she says, and, and this is a country that was under the Soviet Union. They were all raised atheists. Even to this day, these countries are largely atheists. They've been raised atheists, that there is no God. They've been taught this from the time they were little ones. And she came to me and says, I want you to know, I was, I was trying to learn about you because I heard you were going to come, and I started watching your services, and, and uh, I came to faith. I came to know Jesus. My life has been changed, all because of the Holy Spirit in the midst of this country gives this woman an epiphany of who Jesus is. Jesus said um, in John, the sixth chapter, he says, for this reason, I've told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Unless God grants this to happen, uh, it won't happen. Some of you listening to me right now, maybe you're visiting for the first time, watching on the internet, television, whatever, and all of a sudden things are starting to click for you as you're hearing me. And for a lot of you listening, it's just a weirdo in a strange jacket. And you're just hearing noise. You know, you, you might be fascinated by who we are and what we do. But what you need is this epiphany. This is how you come to know God in your life. Um, and it can happen. You know, so, sometimes you can spend all this energy trying to convince someone about faith if you've ever gotten into religious discussions with people. And you can use every brilliant thought you have and pff, it goes nowhere. Right? And then other times, it's like you say nothing and dung, the light goes on. And there's times when I've had this, where I've shared some really briefly about Jesus. And I said, well, would you like to know Jesus? And they go, yeah. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> because I didn't really say anything, you know. One of the strangest things that had happened once is, this is some years ago, uh, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. I was in an, uh, where was I? I was in, I was in an airport, I guess. No dinosaurs then. Airport. And they had these things called phones, phone booths. And uh, believe it or not, young people, you used to have to have a cord to talk to people. Okay. And you guys remember those long curly cords? <laughs> because you wanted some mobility. or So they made these real long curly cords and you could stretch it. I mean, sometimes in the two different rooms, three rooms, and, and you'd see the court all straight. Who's on the phone? Right? And, but those stupid things would get all tangled up. So whenever you hung it up again, it was just this ball of blah, blah, blah. You're trying to undo it. And so, so anyway, you actually had to have a wire to talk to anybody on, on the phone. And they had things called phone booths back in the day. And I remember once I was in, in the airport and uh, uh, just standing next to the to the phone in the phone booth, you know, there's a bank of them for people to make calls. And all of a sudden, the phone booth rings. <laughs> I look around and say, it rings again. So I pick up and say, hello? He <laughs> says, yes, is Ralph there? No, I don't see any Ralph. But I'm here, and I'd love to talk to you. She said, about what? I said, do you know if Jesus loves you? I never really thought about it. Have you ever asked Jesus in your life? No. Would you like to? She says, I really would. <laughs> and then other people, you can hog tie them, right? And beat the snot out of them with the Bible. Nothing gets through. 
So I prayed with this lady right on the spot to ask Christ in her life. And I said, okay, goodbye. She said, goodbye. She sounded so excited. And I have the phone. And, and then my wife, Debbie, comes over. So what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm talking to people about Jesus. <laughs> what are you talking about? The phone. The phone rang and I answered it. And this lady wanted to get saved. She's looking at me like, what? And the phone rings again. And I pick it up. And it was the same lady. She was so touched and impacted by that simple prayer. The first thing she does is goes, runs and tells another coworker about it. And she goes, she says, will you pray with her too? Okay. So, so I pray with this lady. Would you like Jesus in your, yes, I really would. Seriously, that easy. Now, I have no idea who these people are, but clearly God had been dealing with their lives and they were having an epiphany. God was real to them from the simplest words from my mouth. And sometimes I can work really hard and nobody gets anything, you know. But anyway, uh, so that's what we're celebrating, this idea of God making himself real to people. Now, I want to read to you from uh, Acts, uh, the gospel of, or not the gospel of Acts, after the gospels, the next book, we call them books, but they're, most of them are just letters and stuff. But this one is a historical account. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. And what it does is it records what happens from the time Jesus uh, is resurrected and gone into heaven and for the first however many decades of Christianity. So uh, we're reading here in Acts, the 14th chapter. Now, Paul, whose name had been Saul, had been a horrible a persecutor of Christians. He hated them. Now, a lot of people don't like Christians. Thankfully, we live in a country today where they just don't out and out kill us. There's people in, around the world that are still being killed for their faith. It's very heartbreaking uh, to see that happening. Uh, but uh, so anyway, uh, he had an epiphany. He's walking along one day and all of a sudden, Jesus just knocks him to his knees and he has this revelation of who Jesus is. And he becomes now a great believer and an apostle. And this one who had been working so hard to arrest Christians and have them destroyed is now preaching the gospel in the same area. People were stunned. So anyway, Paul's going uh, around the known world at that time through Greece and, and, and the Roman area and stuff, proclaiming the gospel. So we read about this event in Lystra. Now, in Lystra, there sat a man uh, who, who was lame. In other words, he, he couldn't walk, not just, you know, lame, like we would say sometimes. Uh, don't be so lame. My kids would say that to me all the time. Uh, he had been that way from birth. He had never walked, okay? And he's listening to Paul as he's speaking. And Paul looked directly at him. And I don't know, you know, how did Paul know to do this? Maybe the Spirit of God said something to do it. I mean, I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail. I've often said to people, say, the Bible is a book of stories. If it's a book of stories, these are the worst storytellers ever because they don't give you any details. A good story gives you lots of details, right? Well, they just give you the facts as they occurred. But something happens while Paul's talking, and Paul looks directly at this guy uh, and saw that he had faith to be healed. How did he do that? I don't know. But this man is having an epiphany of the good news about who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And he calls out to this guy and says, stand up on your feet. And at that point, the man jumped up 
and began to walk. Now, this is a significant miracle. Now, sometimes God will use events, big events, to get people's attention. Sometimes miraculous events, sometimes very sad, heartbreaking events, uh, you know, to kind of get people's attention. People turn to God. So anyway, he talks to this guy, and it's significant that he was born this way. He had never walked. All of a sudden, he jumps up, and he just starts walking. How does that happen? You know, even if all of a sudden strength went into his legs, you think, we've got to teach this guy how to walk, right? I don't know if you can remember when you first walked. Most of you can't, but it's a slow process and a lot of falling down and knocking our heads and trying to go for some, you know, people even who get strength in their legs, if something happens, they've got to go through therapy now and learn to walk. All of a sudden, his mind, not only are his legs healed, boom, instantly in his brain, he had the knowledge to walk and keep balance, you know, like a baby giraffe or something, you know, just, they just pop out and start walking around. You say, how come we're not that way? Apparently we could be because God did it just like that for this guy. And there's other times in, in the scripture where we'll read miracles like this happen. It's just that God wants us to connect with family and stuff. And, you know, it takes time. You know, time is not your enemy. Time is your friend. Sometimes we get mad because things don't happen as quick as we want them to. Right? Be patient. Keep a long-term view. All right? It took you a long time just to figure out to walk. And there was a good reason that God did that. Anyway, for this guy, boing, he pops up and starts walking. Now, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language. Now, um, Paul was a brilliantly educated man, spoke many languages. He did not speak this one. Uh, so he doesn't know what they're saying. All he knows is he's talking about God and how God came to the earth in the form of Jesus and sacrificed for our sins and that we could have forgiveness of sins and you don't have to go through some pagan rituals and beg and plead for forgiveness. You can come to God in faith and experience forgiveness of your sins and the Spirit of God can come into you. You can be born again, as Jesus said, have a new life, and people are having this opinion. So he's saying this stuff. He looks at this guy and says, yo, dude, stand up. Boing, la, 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 la. Everybody goes, wow! And they all start screaming in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. They don't, get, you know, he's been talking about Jesus. But as soon as this happened, they assumed that they wanted one of the Greek or Roman gods. And uh, Barnabas, they called Zeus, it was Paul and Barnabas. And Paul, they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Uh, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So these guys are thinking, I'm talking about Jesus, Jesus, yes, yes, yes. And all of a sudden, the sky's healed, and everyone's going, woo -hoo! and they're celebrating. Now they're thinking, this went really well. This is awesome. Look, they're all accepting the gospel. No. They think these are demigods that came down from Mount Olympus or whatever. So they're all cheering us the apostle. Yeah. Barnabas, see, I'm telling you, this is what we do. And now, again, poor on details. This had to go on for quite some time. Now, if you, and I don't know if anybody here has any cows or bulls, but if I asked you to go get some cows and bulls and get some wreaths together and bring them to the city, how long would that take you? 
it's not taking three minutes here as it took to read this thing, right? This is probably going all day long. And they're all having this big thing and they're coming with this processional and at some point, Paul's going, what's with the cows? And someone interprets, well, they've come to sacrifice to you guys. And that's when they find out that they're not receiving the gospel. They're not happy about Jesus. They think this has been a confirmation of their pagan gods. So when, Paul, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes. Why would they do it? This is a dramatic thing that they do in the East still to this day, actually. If you ever see a, uh, something in the Middle East and, and something terrible happens, you'll see people screaming and again, they'll start ripping their clothes. It's just a very dramatic thing that they do. We don't do that sort of thing, but that's what they do. And this is all in the East. So they start tearing their clothes. They're freaking out. And they rush into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things, these idols and stuff, and turn to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. See, God is always trying to reach out to people. Sorry. I hate it when preachers drink in front of me. <clears throat> but, oh. It's a little drier here than in Mexico. <laughs> or just in Mexico. Can you tell? Anyway, so what am I talking about? I don't know. Um, he says, so God has always had a testimony. He has shown you kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So he's talking about God. And it's amazing. He's not dissing them for being without faith. What he's saying is, look, God is always trying to show himself to you. He's always been trying to do this. Why do you think these wonderful things happen? Why do you think this world works the way that it works? This isn't an accident. This is going to happen all by itself. And he's trying to reason them. And he says, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. What happened? They failed to have an epiphany. I mean, you can build the biggest churches, you can have the best programs, the most brilliant explanations of faith from those learned people. But without God switching the light on for people, they will not get it. And that's why some people respond to faith and some do not. So why do some have an epiphany and some don't? I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus said, unless the Father does this for them, they can't come to me. So my question is, have you had an epiphany? I know most of you have. Maybe some of you right now over in Appleton, Stevens Point, here visiting for the first time. I either just sound like a rambling idiot or maybe all of a sudden the lights are turning on for you. Oh, I get it. And it becomes real. And that's what God does. And again, for your family and friends. And what I want us to do over these next several weeks of this period of epiphany that we'll be talking about is our goal you want to live the kind of life that God can use stuff in you. Sometimes it can be simple as rain coming down from heaven. Others, it's a dramatic miracle. Who knows what God will do and how he will use your life. But something that you do, something you say, that God will give opening eyes, light to people, epiphanies, so they can start to see the life of God. And that's, that's when people start responding to the gospel. Now, I was talking to my brother, Bishop Ed, uh, this last week. And uh, about these verses. And he sent me this thing. He says, an interesting thing. This is a guy by the name of Blaise Pascal. He was a 16th century 
scientists. For those of you who remember from school, he's the one who invented the concept of a vacuum. It was a big deal. Uh, that led to lots of stuff today. Uh, anyway, he has this observation. He says, if God had wished to overcome the obstinacy of the most hardened, he could have done so by revealing himself to them so plainly that they could not doubt the truth of his essence. But instead, he chose to be recognized only by those who sincerely sought him. You see, there's enough light for those who desire to be able to see. But there's enough darkness for those of a contrary disposition, for those who do not want to see. We read in uh, John's Gospel where Jesus said, uh, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And the guy is talking, he says, what do you mean born again? How's that happen? He says, I'm talking about spiritually. Something happens and God makes himself real to you and through faith you experience this birth of spirituality in your heart. And you need to have this uh, because without this you can't get into the kingdom of God. So we come to God and we ask him to make himself real to people. It's why we do what we do. It's why we give the money we give. It's why everything that we're doing is so that we can be in a place to proclaim the gospel of Christ. That's our responsibility. But then it's up to God to make himself real to people. And this is where we need to pray. And don't get discouraged in praying. Say, well, it takes so long. I've been praying for so many years. It, you know, sometimes it takes a long time. Other people, it's one conversation and boom. You know, others, it can take quite a while. But don't get discouraged. God hears your prayers and God isn't done with these people. And continue to pray that God would make himself real in people's lives. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward now here and over in Appleton and Stevens Point. Ushers are going to come forward as we get ready to serve communion. Uh, in his epistle to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What's that talking about? This is our time for reflection as we wrap up the service. Where am I at in my faith? What am I doing? Am I being the kind of person I should be? Uh, looking back over the week, how have I done? Did I say things I shouldn't have said, done things I shouldn't have done? This is the time to just come and kind of make things right with God as we examine ourselves. So I'm going to ask all of us to bow our heads together, and I'm going to pray this prayer of forgiveness for all of us uh, as we examine ourselves before we take of the bread and of the cup. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, by what we've done or maybe by what we've left undone, if we've not loved you with our whole heart, if we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, his body broken so we could be whole, his blood shed so we could have forgiveness of sins, we ask you, Lord, to have mercy on us. Forgive us of all our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And as our heads are still bowed, if you're fairly new to faith this morning, perhaps, and certainly it's my prayer, that you've had an epiphany, that all of a sudden this is making sense, why don't you just ask God right now, talk to Jesus in your own words, and very simply ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins.